everyone, it's Korean and I am back with another episode where I am the star. Just kidding. In today's episode, we once more dive into the endless sloshing ocean that is life service games. This week's episode is entitled Livin' La Life Service Loca. It was recorded on July 20th, 2021. Today, each person has chosen a life service game or the interpretation of a life service game. They will explain how they interpreted today's topic and then give us their viewpoint and take on live service game. We conclude the show talking about the hot topic, i.e. the Steam Deck, and the plans for the week and an exciting new topic for the podcast next week. A side note, this will be my last episode for a while until I can rebalance my schedule. Until then, you will have the pleasure of listening to the wonderful, the fantastic, the amazing Adam, Phil, and Antoine. All right, now you're done with the beginning. So hi, everyone. Thanks for being back despite the previous two weeks of more or, or maybe more or less of no audio except for me. I want to apologize for that and I won't make any more excuses, but I know you, our audience, are super understanding of middle-aged gamers like ourselves. So moving on to the topic, today we're talking about live service games. So we, me and Adam have done this before, but we haven't had the chance of talking about this topic with Phil or Antoine. So if you missed the news last week, Final Fantasy XIV was so inundated with players that they had to stop digital sales of their game. I'm not even sure if it's on sale again. Maybe one of the guys can check that out. Uh, live service games are here to stay, whether we like them or not. Today, we're going to dive into them. The beautiful part of the topic is that everyone will have their own interpretation, own way to take this topic today. I won't blabber on more, even though I've already been doing it it for 40 seconds and we're going to stick to the order from last week full is up first Antoine Adam and then myself last as usual so Phil as tired as you are how did you interpret the topic for today okay well, actually it's kind of nice to be going first with the topic that I chose because I chose what is arguably not a live service game uh, but uh, again it will come down to perception yeah yeah live service game so I went with um Outriders, it was uh, uh, something I was going to talk about before, but uh, didn't get around to it for one reason or another, um, my uh, getting the date wrong. But um, yeah, it's by People Can Fly, released this year, April 1st, 2021, um, Square Enix. And it is very much like a Destiny clone in that the three-man fire teams, even just the feel, the gameplay, how how the mechanics work, even to the state where we were talking before about having distinct classes, but even the classes aren't particularly really that important, you know, between a mix between the three, um, that blurring of how everybody can pretty much do everything. You no longer really need a tank and a DPS and, you know, whatever support character. They kind of blur in together in that two of them are slightly more rangy and slightly more supporty. But realistically, when it gets into the game, you don't really, you don't really, um, it doesn't really matter. Anyway, that's beside the point. What is important is that when it comes to Destiny, people view that as a clear live service game. And you have Outriders, which is fairly similar game, but the developers, and they made it a key part, people can fly a key part of their marketing campaign when the game was coming out, to say this is not a live service game. So why? I'd like to point out the the things that they they claimed made it not a live service game. They said there was no roadmaps for the future. There would be no seasons. There wasn't a battle pass. And there was no microtransactions. So it was interesting that they had isolated those key aspects of a game, which is what makes a a live service game. Now, for players, you might be looking and thinking, well, how can you argue for it being a live service game? 
Uh, and I read a really cool article um, on the Forbes, Paul Tassi, and he, and, and he was arguing that when you have a live service game, things like always having to be online as a mandatory requirement to play the game, constant balancing patches, which if you play Outriders, you'll be well aware. You know, we, we, we went through a stage of having about four or five patches in the space of as many days when they were trying to sort out things over weekends. So when it comes to those balancing patches, oh boy, yeah, they, they, are, they are releasing those frequently. And they've also slowly started to creep into a, a roadmap, okay, albeit in the short term, of when these patches are coming out to repair the certain problems that there are. So they're obviously heavily invested in making sure that there's a clear plan of how to improve the game. And new game activities. They are, they've got already planned and they've, they already said that the more interest that they have in the game, then the more they would extend update releases. So, I mean, in a way that kind of does make you, that's like saying, oh, we're going to make it live service game and that we'll be constantly adding stuff as long as people are interested in the game. So you're half saying, you're kind of like sitting on the fence there about saying whether this game is going to be a live service or isn't a live service by your own rules of how you make a live service game. Um, and it was quite interesting. For those of you who are watching, I can share this screen. For those of you who aren't, you'll, uh, I'll have to talk about it very quickly. But he made, let's see if I can get this one right. Here we go. So he made a scale of whether something is live service or not live service. So this is from uh, Forbes from a guy called Paul Tassi. It was interesting to read because he claimed that from one side of a live service game, you had games like Destiny, Genshin Impact, Division, on this very, very extreme scale that were entirely based on this online play and this, this live service rules. And then on the other side, you have like God of War and, oh my God, why does this game always appear? Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> Uh, I swear, I swear, I should learn how to say this game because it seems to come up 13 times every bloody episode. And then in that middle area has that sliding scale between why he viewed things like Avengers and Anthem, Borderlands, and then going to Diablo 3, obviously with the, with the seasons there and a lot of microtransactions on that slide. And then Outriders and Cyberpunk slightly more over towards the not live service game. It was an interesting read, uh, and I don't know how this is going to affect you guys when you come to talking about your live service game, about having that view, uh, whether you kind of share that idea that it's not as a simple black and white issue about whether something's a live service or, or not live service, that there is a, a scale somewhere of whether things can be more or less live service. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Is there is there is there this scale? Is this a real thing, or is it just yes or no, live service? All right, Adam. Uh, I'd kind of lean more toward yes, it is a live service, or no, it it's not a live service. I mean, if it, it's it's, I don't think it's like a hot or cold thing. I think it's one of those things where it's like, is it a live service? Well, yeah, kind of. Then it's like, yeah, that. It's a live service. It's just not a very heavily invested one. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's more of an on or off. And you can have, you know, it's like uh, it, it's like electricity. You know, you, like you can cut off the flow or you can turn on the flow, and you can have a a higher voltage or a lower voltage. But it's either on or off. You know, it's it either you know you can't have like a scale of how off is it. You know, and I think live service for me is kind of like that. It's 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 either not a live service or it is. But how deep into the rabbit hole are they going? So let's say his his points where he he claimed roadmaps, seasons, battle passes, transactions, uh, always required to be online, 
balancing patches and new endgame activities, which one of those then are vital for a live service game? Which ones of those are the defining factors of yes or no? For me, it would be the seasons kind of thing. The idea that you're constantly getting new content and that the game is in a constant state of adaptation. It's not, this is the game. So like a game like, uh, for instance, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, he, he puts it as kind of not a live service, but really all it got was it got an update that added multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Does that, you know, and so that makes it slightly less that not live service. You know, it's like, so that means that any game that has DLC is automatically a live service game. So that means pretty much the only games that are not live service are games that come out and never get patched. Yeah, he says that's the one extreme where, where everything is the game. You buy the game, the game comes out, that is the game. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of an extreme idea of like, if it, if it, if it's ever patched, if it's ever gets new content, it's live service. And it's kind of like, well, I mean, in that case, like that's kind of the world we live in. But if we use that as kind of our definition of what live service, you know, that might be the case back in the PS3 era or the Xbox uh, 360 era. But today, I mean, patching is the norm. I mean, you know, lots of games get day one patches at this point. So... Yeah, for me, it would be that uh, uh, the game is constantly adapting. There, there are seasons. That would be the big thing for me. Because I could see a live service game not being online. Where you can have, like, uh, like for instance, Assassin's Creed right now. They're adding uh, seasonal events. And so, you know, you have your holidays and stuff like that. So I would see that as a live service game. Oh, we're getting new content regularly. But that's not online. And... You know, so, but then like something like, and then something like Fortnite, you know, you get your seasons and then they adapt, they add new things, they change the mechanics a little bit. Something like uh, League of Legends, which is constantly getting new characters and that sort of thing. Those I would see as more of a live service game because the idea is that the game isn't supposed to be you buy the game and then we, you know, the game is supposed to progress forever. Whereas a game like Ghost of Tsushima, you're supposed to play it and then you're done. You're not supposed to come back in a year and have new content to do. I do struggle with this, you know, uh, notion of live service because for me it has always been kind of multi- multiplayer game which just go on in time. You don't really need that's my view, you know, like microtransaction of patches just you know to correct the bugs. Like for me, the essential game was Counter Strike. That's the most basic game. You have two teams, bombs, blah blah blah. You don't have extreme a lot of new content like CS:GO or something like this, but the, the content remained the same for, what, 20 years or something like this? You had eSport and all, but the content was the same. So for me, it's live service because you still have a community manager between you know, the, the editors and uh, the players. And also, it keeps the game alive. And yet, you don't have microtransaction, very few patches or stuff like this. So, But uh, in the case of Outriders, I was smiling, thinking... Maybe they didn't intend to make it a live service at first. Then, because maybe they had another game published and think, you know, the Outriders will be from this date to this date and we release something else and we will forget about it. And then COVID hit. And then, okay, we can't release a game we planned at which date. Can we make money out of Outriders? Uh, okay, we can try to make it be more multiplayer. We said we didn't, wouldn't put it live service, but hey, we had a backdoor. We can actually try to <laughs> patch a bit stuff and make it more interesting and make it last until maybe we can publish something else. I don't know. I, I see it kind of a yeah, like, I could, like a backdoor really. Okay, so Phil, I mean, closing thoughts. I think it's an interesting point when Antoine as the, has the added the idea of a community manager, and I think maybe maybe that. 
kind of impacts my thoughts on on what is a live service game in a way. I think if your if your game company has the need or requirement to issue a community management that's going to care about the game moving forward, then for me that's kind of would fulfill the requirements of a live service game in that not so much anything any particular aspect that you change in the future, but the fact that you are looking forward to the future and making sure that you're uh, players are happy and that's going to require either it's going to be seasons or roadmaps or microtransactions or anything where you're looking forward for that game beyond sort of like immediate release so yeah i think day one patches or just you know immediately making sure that the game is playable that is fine we're talking about sort of like a couple of weeks later how much that engagement is still going on from the game company developers to the uh, player base all right fantastic adam antoine any questions for phil about his Excellent presentation with the sliding scale of live service and not. <laughs> I'm kind of curious how each of us, like when we think of live service, like how would we define it? I don't want really. to spoil my part coming in two minutes, so I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's difficult. I, I, I really had to, how I kind of came to this topic is I actually just Googled top live service games. Yeah. And I scrolled through them and I was kind of like, okay, which ones do I play? Which ones do I want to talk about? And then I was, I was kind of going through them and everything came up with the Assassin's Creed release. You know, oh, Assassin's Creed, they're going to doom us all. Why are they <laughs> going to live service? This is the end now. There's going to be one, one Assassin's Creed they're just going to focus on. And one of the second issues that came up was Outriders, is it a live service game? And it got me thinking, I was kind of like, looking through those lists, I could notice clear beer running themes, gameplay styles through the list that it was coming at, coming with. Um, but then I was thinking they were all definite saying why, uh, Destiny is definitely uh, a live service and Outriders, the developers saying not. So that, that kind of like was how I came to this topic in that the, there's a very, very fine line or they try and push that it's a very fine line between what is a live service and not a live service game. And I'm not entirely sure I could... I could pinpoint exactly what the key features are. Even now, even after that conversation, I still could easily be swayed anybody's opinion about what a live service game is. And I'm just plucking things out of the air. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it is a difficult topic, I think. I think trying to get people to cement exactly what the fundamental key aspects are is, is tough. All right, Antoine, then we'll pass it on to you and the cat. Um, so... For me, uh, this aspect of life service is how you can keep, how long you can keep a win-win situation between the developer and your community. So what I'm going to talk is Crossout, the game Crossout, released in 2017 by uh, Genshin. Uh, no, sorry, let me just check again. Uh, yeah, eh? <laughs> yeah, Gaijin Entertainment, that's the guys who made uh, War Thunder. So... Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm just very tired at the moment. <laughs> <Pure back there. laughs> uh, yeah, so how long you can keep a win-win? So how long you can keep your gamers interested in your game? So try to keep your community and at the same time make money because it costs money to keep a team, even a reduced team, to release maps, release patches, release stuff, to keep the stuff interesting. And cross, out, and cross out for I really love the game, by the way. If you don't know, it's... Uh, uh, MMO kind of um, world of tank but with fantasy vehicles you create your own vehicles you unlock parts and you can have 
the spider-like tanks, for instance, or hovercraft, or you create whatever you want as long as it's battle-ready. And then you have a matchmaking with between two teams, and you go and you shoot and you have fun. And it's very basic, but it's very fun. And how they f- they made it work for now, since you know it's already a four-year game and it's really going well. It's a free game. And they do a lot of microtransactions. It's all based on grinding. Basically, if you want to be good, it's typically what you would call a pay-to-win. Because if you don't want to pay, you have to grind like crazy. I don't think I ever see something so grindy. Because you'd start with a crappy vehicle with really no parts. And if you don't want to get destroyed within 10 seconds, well, you need to add a radiator to cool your weapons. You need to add some uh, some armor to your vehicle so they don't shoot into critical parts too fast. You have hundreds of stuff, like you can add invisibility, you can add hovercraft, you can add, as I said, spider legs. You have uh, lots of different ways to move. You can add um, lot, hundreds of different weapons and stuff. So it's really uh, this game is really divided between the building part and the shooting part. But for the building, for the building part, you really need to have the parts. And that's all the whole game. You need to grind and grind and grind. And you could grind for years and never be finished with this game. Or you can spend $60, you know, on a pack and get right away a big cannon. You're going to die anyway because that's <laughs> you, you're going to play against guys which re- are really like a try-harder on this game and you're going to get destroyed by some small buggy, you know, like returning around you. Anyway. It's really this kind of a grinding game. So I think they find a good balance because the developers, they make a lot of money because you don't want to grind for years <laughs> and get destroyed right away. That's my take on this one. So what I think that I talked to a kind of a Adam would be interested in this game last time. <laughs> so what do you think about this game? Do you have time to check it out or something? I haven't had time yet. Um, I'm finishing the games I'm currently on. I really like... The kind of oh, it's build your own bot type games, you know, like Armored Core or this or that sort of thing. So the, the the concept of building your own vehicle is just really appealing to me. But yeah, I'm always kind of standoffish when it's like, oh yeah, the grind is. And on that topic, just to make you dream even more and to make you salivating, you can actually see and try vehicles made by other players. So when you're like, oh, I like ideas. I don't know how to make this vehicle. I'm bored. And then you look at other stuff and they make crazy things. So you start saying, oh, I need that tank. I need to try that. Oh, I need this part and this stuff. Okay, I go back into the game. <laughs> you know? They really put like the switch shop, you know, like, ah, cakes all over. Oh, I need to continue. But, uh, you can, you can test drive what other players did. And that's great for your own vehicles. It gives you ideas. You know, that's really good. It's really well integrated because it doesn't take much for them to do it. So people can showcase a creation that they spend thousands of hours doing, literally. And at the same time, it gives you ideas and gives you the, the will and the want to spend more money on parts. So, you know, it's all win-win for the developers. How do the microtransactions oh, work? I don't really recall. Uh, it's kind of all uh, in-game money. Like you spend real dollars for in-game money and then you buy your parts. You have to level up. Um, I haven't played this game in very long, so honestly, I don't really recall because I'm not really this kind of person who spend money in game. I prefer grinding, and at some point, I'm like, ah, let's give up. Do you remember how much time you put into it? A good hundred hours or something like this. Yeah, because it's just fun. It's really nice. fun. It's just at some point you realize either I need to really 
go ahead and be a tryhard and do this really seriously if I want to to start, you know, ranking up, or I spend money. And they were like, hey, it's really good to have some fun from time to time. But just, you know, at some point, it's just, I want to play other games. So. Any thoughts, Phil? Yeah, this reminds me of, uh, from the looks of it and how you explained it. I've not played this one, this um, game. There was one called War Robots that you could have on your phone. And it looked very, very similar. You could play like uh, up to six versus six. You, it was like a, a map area and you worked, you you fought against each other and came together. And I used to play that a lot on my phone. It was similar. You It was supposed to be free to play. And then you got into the game and then, yeah, you want packs, you want different mech skins, you want different weapons to customize on your mechs, then give us all of your money now immediately. My only question would be, and it goes off my presentation to make sure that you're listening and engaging, is <laughs> why for you is this a live service game? The option of live service is really how long you can, <clears throat> if you can make your game past its expiry date, if you will, then for me, it's a live service. If the community managers can make the... For me, uh, live service is linked to multiplayer. I don't see it as a solo player. I just see uh, the multiplayer as the extension of you have a great solo campaign, you had fun, now you want to prolong... Uh, prolong? Can you say this? Uh, you want to extend your, your experience to it, so you prolong. go to multiplayer, and multiplayer adds map, adds stuff, adds this, and how long you can make it you know, like uh, worse, you know, the uh, editor's time in terms of money and uh, player's time. Well, that's, that's what for me make a good life service game. All right, then we are going to move on to Adam's game. Woo All right, so I went with Naraka Blade Point. It's not out yet. It is supposed to come out August this year. It is developed by 24 Entertainment and it is published by NetEase Games Montreal. Uh, so this basically is a battle royale brawler in a way so we've seen lots of uh, battle royale games such as uh you know fortnite PUBG, and even uh the the game what was, was it called cross out cross out that uh, antoine just mentioned has course, battle royale mode as well uh so there's lots of battle royale games out there but what makes this one a little bit different is this one is more about mobility and it's more about melee combat versus when you look at a lot of these battle royale games a lot of them have uh what do you say the uh ranged combat you know they're using guns or whatever or magic or, or something but this one's going to be primarily short range melee based and what's also going to make it interesting is actually you're in the world but then you have some pve elements as well so it's still going to be you know last man standing but if you're watching the video, you'll see at one point the girl's kind of going from rooftop to rooftop. So traversal is a big thing. Kind of does the Tenchu Stealth Assassin uh, grappling hook kind of deal. But there's a point where she's looking down. There's a guy down there and there are these big ogre things and the guy's fighting the ogre. She jumps in, kills the ogres and then kills the guys. And so there's a bit of a PVE element in there where you're going around and collecting things from things in the world and you can help each other out or you can kind of screw each other over or that sort of thing. So it's really kind of changes the game up in a couple of ways between those different elements. Why I picked this game was personally, I like the aesthetic. We don't typically get that fantasy Chinese aesthetic here in the West. It's you see it all the time uh, here in Asia, but in the West, we typically don't get that kind of aesthetic. You'll get more of a Japanese aesthetic. And while 
to many Westerners, they probably can't tell the difference. Uh, when you're used to it, you can definitely tell the difference. It's melee focused, which is new. So there's going to be a lot more about, you know, combos and skills and which character are you selecting? Whereas in other games, you know, you might get slightly different stats, like this guy's a little bit faster or that guy has a little bit more health, but primarily they're playing pretty much the same, you know, even in something like Apex, you know, everybody has their abilities, but really it's more about the gunplay. And this one, because it's melee oriented, you know, you're, a spear guy is not going to fight the same way as, you know, a girl with a, a short sword. So there's going to be a, you know, you're, there's going to be a lot more stylistic variation in how you play. So there's going to be some options there. Uh, I really enjoy that kind of Tenchu jumping from rooftop to rooftop thing. So that appealed to me as well. And the idea that there's going to be this kind of PvE element is, is kind of interesting. So all those kind of things to me kind of piqued my interest. So what I'm really going to talk about is and why I chose this is kind of in live services, we see a lot of times where you'll come up with a new game concept and then suddenly everybody is doing it to the point where that just market is oversaturated. And then somebody comes up with a new idea and kind of changes up the formula and then everybody starts doing that. And so, you know, in live service, we see kind of this, you know, this up ramp and then a plateau and then an up ramp and then a plateau. And you just see this over and over and over again. And this is this game kind of to me stood out as one of those things where it's going to, you know, kind of the up ramp idea where they're taking an idea of what we already have, but kind of changing up the formula. And if it works, I could definitely see a lot more games in this style coming out or it could just fizzle and die. And I don't know, because obviously it's not out yet, so I haven't been able to play it. I think you can play the beta. I think you can pay for like early access or something i'm not quite sure but i know some people have played it seems interesting but yeah so it'll be interesting to see that and in live service i feel like more than other games you really need to innovate to make money more than you do in say other traditional things like for instance with an rpg you don't need to reinvent the wheel you just need a better story or you need a new story that people aren't used to and you know in FPSs, you know, you just need kind of new enemies to fight. You need new guns, but you don't really need to change the core gameplay. But in a live service game, the idea is to keep people there for a long period of time. And once you're invested in a game, you're not really incentivized to go out and play other games. You know, if you're really into Apex, you're not really incentivized to go out and try and try, say, Fortnite because you've already invested so much in Apex. And there's not going to be, you know, I mean, there's the construction aspect in Fortnite, so that might appeal to you but if you're playing games that are relatively similar you're not really incentivized to try something new so in live service games they really have to have this idea of one-upmanship to kind of pull people back from the other group and this is kind of similar with mmos and this is one thing that i thought was interesting was a lot of people seem to not define mmos as live service games they seem to differentiate between the two which technically all the things that apply to live service games and make a live service game a live service game technically also apply to MMOs, but whatever. Yeah, so you people really need to in, innovate uh, in order to keep the games fresh. I mean, if we look at games like League of Legends, that was huge for the longest time. And now it's just kind of like, it's still popular, but you know, it's mostly because people who've been playing it for a long time and are really invested in it to it. It's not necessarily drawing in new players. Um, so as for this game is not out yet. So as for is it going to do well, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I'm sure it's going to do very well in China. NetEase being a Chinese company, I'm sure it's going to do very well in China. However, NetEase might make some people uneasy, pun intended. 
because you know some people don't really trust the Chinese servers and, and what's going on with uh, that sort of thing. So I know those games typically have a harder are a harder sell in the West. However, Genshin Impact is doing well, so maybe there is hope. Although I know a lot of people, I still see it online. People think that Genshin Impact is a Japanese game, <laughs> yeah, but it's not because you know it's got like Japanese voice voiceovers and everything, and people are like, "Oh yeah, I'm playing it in the original <laughs> Japanese," and it's like, eh, "Yeah, well, that's not the original." But uh, yeah, so it'll be it'll be hard to say. So, uh, but it is kind of a new idea. So, and then that could be, and then again, that's the kind of thing where it, it, this could be something that's really popular and it takes off, or it could be the kind of thing where people are like, "I'm going to try it," and they're like, eh, I, "I don't like it." So I'm, I'm sure it's going to be very popular in China. As far as in the West, uh, I'm kind of 50-50. Uh, you, and, and it's also kind of weird because it's supposed to be free to play, but you pre-order it. And when you pre-order it, you have to pay. So I'm not quite sure what the pricing is going to be on this. I don't know if you're going to have to pay, but pe- people were saying it's going to be free to play. But yeah, pre-ordering it, you have to pay money. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe you get some sort of like uh, early adopters bundle or something. I'm not really Sure. But this is, for me, what kind of defines a, a live service game is that as a game that is built without the intention of being beaten. There's no end game in sight. And, and something like Destiny, yes, you can beat the current content, but there's always something on the horizon. Kind of like what Phil was saying with a, a roadmap. For me, a live service game is going to have that roadmap where it's like, you're, you're going to get the game, but that but wait, there's more. And so the idea is to keep the game alive you know, so it's, it doesn't die. It's doesn't you don't beat it. It doesn't have a life cycle. It's just supposed to be immortal. And for me, that's kind of the definition of a live service game is this game that's built with the idea of for the foreseeable future. It's immortal. It's not going to end. It just continues on. I think this will be something that'll fit into that category. Yeah, actually, I think I played this game like 20 years ago. It was called World of Warcraft, and uh, that was one of my favorite modes. <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know in English what the name, but in yeah. France was uh, Alterac Valley or something. You know, when you can play uh, Horde Against Alliance in this free, and there was PvP and PvE, and I was playing the Horde, which means that there was far more players on the Alliance side. So we were only playing the PvE because we get a, we're getting our ass kicked in PvP. So, but yeah it, i really love this um this mode before so when you talk about this i'm like oh, nostalgia i want to try all right Phil, what about you i wrote down so much i i always write down notes and then i have to kind of like choose uh choose which questions i'm going to ask so just like <laughs> trying to organize my mind as just organized as my mind goes okay two i'll, I'll focus on two two parts and i'll we'll go for this one then so First thing that I feel like is maybe a quicker question. You said a game then should be immortal. The idea so you... is for the foreseeable future. I mean, no game's immortal. <laughs> so so things like seasons, is that something that makes the game immortal in that you can win the season, but then it resets and there's a new season right along beside it? Or because, I mean, Diablo 3, for example, once you've completed Diablo 3 and you've done it, whether it's in a season or the next season or the season after, you've, it's the same thing. You just complete the game. In my definition, I would say yes, because it's the idea that it's supposed to give people something to do. You're never going to complete everything. There's always something more on the horizon. And yeah, you might say beat everything for the season. You're like, I'm done for the season and you're not playing anything for two weeks. But like an MMO, you know, especially an MMO like, say, Final Fantasy 14, which has a story mode, you can go through, you can beat the story and then have nothing to do. 
but you know, three months down the line, they're going to come out with a patch that's going to add new story. And so while you might be done for it for now, it's, I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's not, it, you didn't finish it. It's not dead. It's just hibernating until the next time it wakes up. Whereas a game like say God of War or something like that, or, you know, even a game like say Fallout, which has DLC, there is a point where it's like, okay, you know, this game is going to be over. We're not coming out. We're not, you know, there's no intention that we're going to release DLC forever. There's the intention that we're going to make this game. We might add a few things to it, but then it's done. And it's not this open-ended, we're going to continue adding DLC for the next 15 years. So for me, yeah, seasons would count as something to keep the game alive and keep people coming back. So I would count that as live service, yeah. Mm-hmm. As Antoine so perfectly put it, something that prolongs the age of a dying game. Exactly. <laughs> uh, my other thing I feel like uh, glossed over potentially, or maybe it's a, a big can of worms, is that you you indicated the difference between an MMO hmm. and then saying it's live service or not a live service. So you say people generally say it's not a live service, yeah. but you sign it sounds like you're saying that you view them as a live service. In a way, I, the reason I think people don't uh the reason i think people don't say that mmos are live services are in the same sense that they don't say a game like god of war is an rpg in god of war you're playing as kratos you're leveling up you are you know that you are playing a role so pretty much most games unless they're mario kart at this point are rpgs you're playing a role but people still differentiate between what is an rpg versus what is a an fps or a shooter or something like that right And I think when people say live service, the reason they don't include MMO is because they're saying a live service is a different genre in a way. Yes, they have a lot of overlap, but I think they're trying to say like a live service is a game that has these things, but isn't officially an MMO. Yeah, no, on that topic, I was thinking of uh, FF14. It's typically they release a new version like uh, Shadowbringer and stuff. You have your PvE quest you can do by yourself and uh, just get some rando to do some dungeons. And then when you're finished, what do you do? And then the live service come in. You have events for Valentine's Day, for whatever summer day, for whatever. They have microtransactions like crazy. They do whatever they can to take money and extend the, the game's life until the next update. So for me, it's absolutely life service, of course. I was going to say, for me, they almost seem like the most purest form of a live service game. Oh, yeah. They fulfill every requirement to, to pretty much the highest degree of having roadmaps, passes, microtransactions, marketing campaigns, never-ending stories, always online, balancing <laughs> patches, new game activities. These are just like every every single one of them pretty much has to be in every MMO. So to me, they almost seem like the, the purest on that guy, on the Paul Tassi's scale of a yeah. live service game. They seem even further off over towards this left side. Yeah. So I think the idea is that people are saying that MMOs aren't live service games in the sense that if we say live service, it becomes too vague. And so when people are saying live service, they're saying a live service game that's not an MMO. And when you say MMO, all those live service elements are already incorporated into it. So they're just trying to differentiate between, say, an MMO versus Fortnite. Because if you say, you know, so if you're playing an MMO, you get an idea of what is an MMO. If you say a live service game, you know, there's no confusion between, oh, is this an MMO or is it, you know, like a Fortnite type thing. So I think it's more of that where people are trying to differentiate for the sake of a genre. But as far as the definition of what a live service game, I would say 100%. That's 
<laughs> that's how an MMO survives. Because so otherwise, then you get into the issues of, well, is Destiny an MMO? Yeah, exactly. What counts yeah. to an MMO, right? And then, yeah, exactly. So people were saying when it first came out, they were like, "Oh, this is an this is a FPS MMORPG," and it's like, "Well, yeah, it's an MMO in the sense that it's got multiple people playing online at the same time, and you can team up with them." But traditionalists who are playing WoW and FF14, they're not going to call that an MMO because they're like, "No, you're not online with everybody at the same time," and so it's it's one of those things where Technically, if you look at if you look at terms by their definitions, a lot of things might apply, but people want to have an idea when they say a game is this of what to expect. And I think that's why nobody would say Destiny is an MMO, because when we hear the word MMO, we have an expectation. And I think it's the same thing with people saying MMOs aren't live services, because when you hear the word live service, you have an expectation. And so they're like, we don't want to say that because you know if somebody said if somebody says oh final fantasy 14 is a live service game people are gonna be like oh so it's like Fortnite. it's like it's like overwatch it's like you know and it's like no it's it's not like those at all and so i think it's gotten to the point where you're you're going into the literal definition versus the implication and i think the literal definition yes but the implication no okay (laughs) (laughs) Uh, any, any more thoughts phil no, no, no. I'm, we're still bumbling our way through <laughs> identifying what is a live service game. All right, very good. Then I'm going to move on to my game. All right, and my game is going to be... My game is going to be Hearthstone, of course, because that is the game I play literally every day at lunch and at dinner. So Hearthstone is coming out with a new expansion, United Instrument, all you wow and... World of Warcraft people will know all of this stuff. I don't really care too much about the lore. I just love <laughs> these little trailers with the art and they do lots of like cool singing and stuff inside there. So United Instrument is coming out in two weeks uh, here in Taiwan. Another expansion, another $50 at the base price or $80 if you buy the... There's only two two kinds. There's the base one where you get like 60 packs of cards and there's the $80 one where you get 80 packs and you get like a portrait and you get a hero and you get other stuff but Hearthstone is is to me the live service game I've never stopped playing since I was in the beta seven years ago maybe seven years ago and I, I played it and uh, back in the day I used to buy when Hearthstone first came I used to buy uh, I used to spend $10 a month on packs, I guess, which is kind of like what you'd pay for like an MMO or that sort of stuff uh, on top of buying the expansions themselves because I didn't have a lot of cards. And now I don't need to spend $10 in packs because I win fairly often. So uh, I, I've got like a bunch of gold. So I use that to do stuff. My Hearthstone has changed so much in the last two years. They've got on top of the main standard mode, they've got wild, they've got the auto chess mode, which is called Battlegrounds, they've got a mode called duels, they've got arena, and it, and it's so much stuff wrapped inside a single package on your Android phone or your iOS device or your computer or your Mac. And uh, why I thought about this today when we talked about live service, I was like, because this is a, a thing, a YouTuber I follow on YouTube, uh, that sounded weird to say, uh, Regis Kilvin. He, he he's a really cool guy. He did a survey of people who watched it with something like 2,500 participants. And they were like, what do you find? T-? Uh, he asked a question, something along the lines of what do you find tired about Hearthstone? And a lot of people are like, I'm tired of standard. Now, standard is the esports thing, is the main part of the game that people play. Uh, if you, you do sort of like the quests that give you money and stuff, that is standard stuff. 
And I was like, oh, okay, that's that that's cool. I mean, people were tired of it. It it does make sense because uh, my older brother put it in, in a very simple way, but kind of true is that what Hearthstone is, what a lot of collectible card games are, sort of rock, paper, scissors is. I play this card. Phil plays that card. Oh, Phil's rock crushes my scissors. Okay, done. Oh, no. And I have to think of another strategy. And and what happens at the end of every expansion, there's four expansions this year, is that you you play the, the first week, first probably two weeks is really exciting. You got crazy decks, some crazy overpowered stuff or some crazy underpowered stuff, some just really cool, really fun stuff. You always feel excited. And then after two weeks, it's just, oh, Hunter, Druid, Shaman. Those are the top three decks that you play if you want to win. And again, it does come down to skill level, but I, I think that's where this sort of, maybe this applies to other life service games is that if you really want to do stuff differently and have fun, you need to be at such a high skill level uh, in Hearthstone to say, I can play all the nine different classes and I can win consistently and I can have fun. And what I wanted to, to come at this with is like, what is the alternative? Because Blizzard's got all these modes, right? And, and, and it's fun. So if you don't want to do standard, you have that option. But standard is definitely the best way free to play speakingly to make in-game money that you can use to buy cards and packs. And then how do you, as Antoine decides, oh, Korean, I'm going to get into Hearthstone today. And how does Antoine catch up with me, who has been buying expansions and who regularly buys packs and I play at least five to six games a day. So I, I get all the weekly quests and I get all the experience and I convert that into gold and I, I am earning packs, Jesus, at least seven, eight packs a week. How does that come? And, and, and you can't. And it's why my younger brother, um, Adam and I have a few students who play this game. You know, they, they get in and they're like, wow, this is cool. And then they're like, oh my God, I just played this guy and he has accounts full of legendaries or how do I get this card? Oh no, I can't. And uh, Adam and I and Phil have a coworker, Jerry. Uh, he plays this as well, and he he does. He doesn't spend any money, but he also struggles. And he, for him, I can imagine this is a, a big sort of step. And I don't know if this applies to other live service games. That okay? How do I win? How do how do I enjoy this game when Korean's been playing for seven years? Something like Jesus, ten thousand matches. That's a lot. Um, and I have every card. For the last few expansions i mean how, how do you catch up how do you do that and that's something i hope hearthstone figures out because i want to keep playing it but i don't know if the live service model allows new people to get into a game later on especially i mean at a middle-aged gaming point in our life where we can say okay i'm gonna get into final fantasy 14 but oh my god i only have five hours a week to play how am i gonna catch up to these people with only five hours a week to play and how am i going to do that just playing by myself so i mean that was my thought excited for the expansion of course and i already put down my 50 dollars a while ago and i'm probably going to be paying 50 bucks four times a year for the next few years as long as hearthstone is out but i don't see it as sustainable all right gents uh let's go fill full questions thoughts yeah was, thoughts? <laughs> watching that trailer does not look like a card game i have to say that there's no that's, element of card gameplay at all in that trailer. There is not. That is just the, the opening trailer. Uh, card reveal season is supposed to start today, actually. So we'll get to see new cards and stuff today. Okay. Um, I saw, I was just reading a, a mini article about it very quickly. It said uh, the reintroduction of classic mode is supposed to appeal to uh, traditional gamers. 
uh, is that it, so the game is is really different even gameplay wise oh yeah yeah because classic mode uses all the cards that first came out when the game came out uh seven years ago and i mean again that was another mode that people were like uh this was three months ago with the other expansion and classic mode came out and people were like cool and it was there for like three weeks and then it disappeared all of social media all of uh youtubers what they were playing and people went back to standard went back to battlegrounds went back to the popular stuff so in my head i, I don't know why i'm just thinking of like say magic the gathering or, or pokemon actual physical card games that i've played and you have like that very core cool set so i mean if you play classic mode, you get access to all of those core cards, or you've got to kind of like work your way to getting packs and unlock and complete that to use the those in the classic mode. So for new players, everybody got the entire classic set for free. But uh, like I was saying, is is that for the weekly quests or daily quests, there are no quests for classic mode. There's no quest say play three games of classic mode. There's a quest for play five games of standard mode, and then you get stuff and you can get money and you can buy packs but classic mode is literally just for people who for fun i guess and if you are a new player you're not getting anything by playing classic mode even though you have all the cards and you can use classic cards when you play standard but i don't know if this happens in, in mmos or stuff you guys can tell me but as a game uh card games progress ah the hearthstone grind <laughs> uh robbie just said the hearthstone grind <laughs> So, I mean, as you progress in Hearthstone, as expansions have released, the uh, power creep happens. So the, the last expansion, the cards are just way better than classic cards. There's no need to put classic cards in your deck. So, I, I mean, you guys can tell me if that's a good question. Does it happen in MMOs where like the every expansion after expansion, it just becomes the stuff you get from that expansion is better than the original game? Well, I mean, there it's a leveling system in most MMOs. So the, the point is... <laughs> Of course, it's better because you have to fight bigger enemies, so you have to have that progression. I think the difference. I think the difference in an MMO, though, yeah. But I, I think the difference in an MMO, though, is that most of them, at least, are primarily PVE, not PvP, and therefore it's actually not that hard for new people to catch up. It, it, it might be a time sink, but it's not that hard to catch up because you're just following the same path as other people and, and you know and once and eventually you'll catch up as opposed to a game like say hearthstone where you're playing against high you know like in an mmo when you start off you're you know if i'm level 80 you're not fighting level 70 monsters at level 20 and trying to keep up with me you know you're fighting level one monsters and then eventually you know you'll catch up because i'm gated by the slow trickle of new content uh, whereas you can move at your own pace and eventually you'll catch up to me and then, you know, we'll be matched. Whereas in Hearthstone, you know, if you're playing 100 hours a week and a new guy's playing 100 hours a week, yeah, he's never going to catch up with you. True. Because there's no like high level. But this is one thing I noticed, too, in, in like uh, a game like League of Legends was the way that they kind of kept things fresh was like what you said with the the you have the three classes and it's basically rock, paper, scissors yes. in league of legends. Basically you would, uh, you know, they'd come out with a patch and they would patch characters and then you would people over time would find a meta. And that's a really big part of a lot of these games is this meta kind of, Oh, you know, and then, and then you get a lot of people that are like, you have to follow this in team comp and they get really mad if you don't follow the meta, but then you get other people that are like, okay, well, if this is the way to win, let's create a counter meta. And then that is specifically designed to take out the meta but then actually usually sucks against anything that's not the meta so then it becomes kind of this again it's, it's this rock paper scissors kind of thing where you know i have 
the optimal way to play, the way that kind of specializes me in such a way that I can beat that way, but can't really compete on other levels. And then the, what if they go kind of this generalized, let's go for this in case they go for the counter meta. And then you get that kind of uh, rock, paper, scissors thing again. And so there, what they're constantly doing is tweaking characters. So they'll like update them. They'll change abilities. They'll, they'll what they call uh, nerfing, right? So they'll do this to keep things fresh. And then that'll change the meta. Oh, this character's not good for the meta anymore. I have to use another character. Or, oh, they've changed the way, you know, junglers work it's a one of the roles you know they change the way junglers work so now junglers you know these players or these characters work better as jungling or jungling is more crucial or less crucial um but in a card game you can't really change some of the hearthstone cards because it's like this is how much life you have and this is how much damage you have i mean how much boosting and nerfing can you do (laughs) in the last seven years you've you've had the changes of which is the strongest class going to next because they often continuously balance and Blizzard's gotten a lot better uh, in that before it would take like months before they say, oh my God, this class is too overpowered. We need to nerf these cards. So so it has gotten better, but it still comes down to the point of like, okay, we can't nerf this class into the ground because people are going to be angry. People invested time in playing these cards and becoming an expert. So so they do nerfs and they do buffs, but it's still, it's still like there are nine classes right now, 10 classes, 10 classes now with Demon Hunter. But it's still a point where you have the top three classes. Like the top three classes, the win rate per by deck is like Shaman 54%, Hunter 52%, three Druid is 51%. And and then you got the, from 51, you got number four, which is 47. And between 54 to like 40, that is the range of all the classes. And it, it kind of sucks. And people always complain about that compared to Magic where you can, you know, in Magic, you can really build yourself a good deck, but as opposed to Hearthstone, where it's sort of in this range of good decks. And it's, it's, it's so many complicated factors, but we're going to have to see. So uh, let's let's move on before Wait, we run. Sorry, sorry. Very quickly, there's one point. Um, we have like a clear distinction about what an MMO is, and we have a clear distinction between what live service game is. So how the when we put that as a genre, what the expectation is. For me, I would put CCG in its own category. Why would you put CC the Hearthstone as a CCG within a live service game rather than just a, a separate, a collectible card game is going to release new editions and you're going to collect that card game over the future? I mean, because it's live service to me in the sense that it, it's not just packs that are released. They're uh, battle modes, they're new ways to play. Their updates, their nerves, their balances. There's, like Antoine mentioned, there's this continuous commentary between the developers and the players. There is this feedback. There's uh, AMAs on Reddit. There's, I mean, I wouldn't say like like you talked about physical card games, right? Where things are released, and, and that is it. So so with the digital card game, I feel there's a lot more back and forth. There's a lot more quick changes. Again, going back to Magic, when something is released, it's very hard for you know, Wizards of the Coast to say, oh my God, we screwed up with the release of these cards. This particular card, oh, we're going to have to wait until the next release of cards to fix it. But I mean, that's why I put it in a live service. Before we move on to the guys, uh, so this will be my last podcast. Potentially, I might be back next week. We'll see how how things work out with my new job. So I guess, did you guys decide, is Adam taking over hosting? I think that makes the most sense. I have the most experience with it. And by that, I mean, I did it like, what, twice? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from next week, potentially, I'm going to see how my first sort of like 
I got all my HR stuff and documentation and apps and uh, security stuff and all this NDA things as well. Today, uh, my I have a meeting with the boss and the new team members tonight, and then we'll see how much work I actually have to do starting from today. But yeah, no. So potentially, I will be back in December once I cut off more stuff. And but for the meantime, you'll be able to see these three guys every Tuesday. December's a ways away. <laughs> <laughs> potentially potentially so i'll have to do our one year anniversary all alone (laughs) yes that's see that's on my list i was like i meant to go back and see when was actually the first episode we did and i think it's september i think it's september as well i haven't gone down to doing that but uh we'll see so topic for next week guys i had one and i forgot (laughs) (laughs) darn is no phil what about you uh, not off the top of my head. We're supposed to, we're supposed to talk about the Valve thing today. So maybe you can just you know expand and make an, a whole episode on it. The Steam. I don't know. I don't know how hardware interested you guys are because that's sort of my True. more my thing. So it's up to you guys. We'll leave it to social media. I did finally. Um, I'm yet undecided. Um, so I'm streaming in French. So either I'm stre- streaming something called Noob, which is uh, absolutely fantastic. It used to be a, um, a small YouTube series, you know, like from student like ten years ago. And it went so well, got so much funding. They made some proper series, even movies. And they released a video game uh, like three weeks ago. So, of course, I bought it right away. So I want to do this, but uh, it's it might be long. So maybe in between, I will do some spellca- Spellcaster University, which is a much uh, shorter game, but very fun too. Yeah, uh, I, I did the yeah, uh, early access oh, at least a year ago, at least a year ago. And I saw that they released not too long ago the, the final version, the official version. So definitely, I want to play it. I haven't had time to come back to it. So yeah, very likely I'll do some Spellcaster University this week. All right, Adam, uh, what about you? Uh, you still doing Plague Tale? Plague, a tale of innocence? Yeah, I'm still doing Plague Tale. I'm, uh, one of the nice things about the PlayStation is it tells you how far you are in the game. And it tells me I am I am 64% of the way through. So Damn. slightly over half. Uh so I'm going to continue with that. I'm going to continue with Greedfall. And I'm debating because I've finished Catherine, but Catherine has something like, what, 16 different endings, and I've already gotten four. No, I've gotten three, four. I've gotten four of the endings out of like 12 or whatever. Um, so right now I'm, I'm playing through on my own on uh, the traditional mode rather than remix. So I might continue with that or I might pick up something else. We'll see. Okay, very good. And Phil, what about you? Uh, you you mean Vermintide? I did see that. Yeah. Keep going with Vermintide? Yeah, I gave up on D&D Dark Lines because uh, I, I prefer to play it um, uh, online and I'm still having those issues when I try and create a game. I'm either joining random people's levels or people not doing the same content and there's not a lot of people, like the wait time's forever. So I've kind of <laughs> I got bored and, t- and, and tired of that. So I went to Vermintide 2 and, oh my God, it's so much uh, a better game. Um, and with the DLC, I actually might go in there and buy the DLC. How 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 a company should do DLC uh, there versus uh, or, or microtransaction DLC versus uh, DAs, how not to do things in general as a game company. But yeah, so I'll probably stick to Vimside too because I, I really like. I also liked. I don't know if people have played it before. 
I got one of my characters to level 12 and it was dropping like gear level power 110. And then when I started another class at level one, I thought I'm gonna have to grind on my way up, but the level one drops the same gear level that my my main character is at. So I was like, okay, you, you no longer have to slowly level it back up again. You can start playing this and get right into the same content that your high level characters in. That's really cool. So yeah, expect more Vermintide because I really like that game. Nice. Okay, very good. Then keep an eye out on social media. I will still be doing my best with that. If you figure out an episode, or if the guys figure out an episode, and then I will hopefully see you guys. I'll still be streaming at least once a week. Uh, maybe I'm still going to figure out what, I don't know what exactly I have to do starting from today, so we'll see. Maybe I'll play some Vermintide with Phil. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, Robbie just said that. Uh, very cool. Okay, so guys, uh, Thanks again for watching and listening. Don't forget to catch these guys streaming. And for me, it'll at least be streaming Friday nights for sure. Maybe Monday. We'll see on the schedule. And I will see, or these guys will see you next week. See you all next week. See you all next week. All right. Bye-bye. See you later, Robbie.